Hi Shane. Hi Sean. I don't have a quote from this week's film because it was in Danish <laughs> and I don't speak Danish. I think it was Danish. It was Danish, right? Uh, Denmark. So yeah, it was people from Denmark. <laughs> also known as the Danish. <laughs> the Danish. I do have a quote. Go on. Actually, I have two quotes. They're translations, obviously. I neither speak Danish. <laughs> <laughs> I eat Danish pastry. Pa- Love Danish. Pasties. So this week's quote uh-huh. is kick in the butt, you're the man, bury them in homework and assignments, paper, boom, curriculum, boom. Uh. <laughs> or the world is not as you expect. I prefer that one. That first moment you're talking about is what a lot of people who aren't in teaching think what teaching is like or should be, mm. right? Like, boom, just punish them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when at first I wrote down, I thought that his two other friends in that scene weren't teachers. Yeah, because they don't really explain, do they? So the film I'm talking about is another round. It's about a male teacher who is, uh, I'd say in a rut. He's in a bit of a rut. He's not inspired. He's bored. He's over it. His lessons are really dull. And he's turning 40, right? Mm. Uh, do you know much about school? This is one thing I did look up. What? Because uh, I was interested as to how school in Denmark might be different. Because I feel like we have this idea, I have this idea of Scandinavian countries as being kind of utopian. And mm-hmm. like they're always brought up as like the countries with the best well-being, the countries with the best childcare, the countries with the best yeah. work-life balance or whatever else. I would look at it because I think some people have pushed against this actually and said that there are often quite like issues in those countries that are sort of below the surface. Do you know much about how Danish schools are different to UK schools? Um, I don't, but I do. I do know and have heard... Um, Finnish schools are supposed to be the best. Oh, okay. Is that? Oh, I might be making that up. I have no idea. Without looking at anything, we'll, right we'll now have to make a note to look this up. <laughs> we'll share on Twitter um, what we've had. But no, you're right. You're right. Scandinavian countries are presented as the models of education. Yeah, they're often framed as the beacons of like liberal democracy, aren't they? So I looked up just in general, you know, just in passing how they're different. It seems like their schools have a much greater philosophy of freedom. They have no uniforms, as you saw in the film. Mm-hmm. The first year of their schooling is entirely play-based. They don't have to start school until they're six, until they're seven, sorry. Okay. And so it's compulsory. You can actually also enroll in an outdoor kindergarten where like you're just completely outdoors for most of your first year of school. A bit like forest school then. Yeah, kind of. That's what it made me think of. And then in secondary, you're actually, you graduate on average between 19 and 21. So it's more like a university. So you get to pick your classes like at a university. So we saw this a little bit in the film. Yeah. He's a history teacher. Yeah. And the kids feel like they can challenge him, I guess, because they have chosen this and it's therefore a much greater proportion of what they're going to come out of the school. I mean, it's much more like a degree, basically. Yeah, and you, you get the sense that he is really disengaged from the profession. He hasn't got a clue. They're telling him, you know, we're averaging a C plus in your classes and we need to be getting A's to get into college. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, really? And you'd think someone who's teaching at that level would know the entry requirements for university, right? Mm. So it's very shocking that he's that removed mm-hmm. from from the profession, despite turning up every day and teaching. I think he's removed from his life. It very much seems like he's similar in his marriage as his profession. It just seems like it's a bit of a classic, get into 40 and you're just, 
your life is just a bit dead. Like mm. there's just not much going on. There's no passion. There's no fire. We find out, don't we, during that dinner scene where they take him out for his birthday that he started off and he was so dynamic and he was on track to get a PhD and it, it sort of just withered away all that ambition and that mm. drive and that It wasn't desire. his birthday. It was his friend's birthday. So I, I kind of took away from that. Was it that. not his birthday? No, it was his friend's birthday, the, the guy, the philosophy teacher. Because he was like oh. saying, what haven't I got at the age of 40? I've got a wife, got three kids, I've got this, you know, life is great. I thought, actually, and I'm glad you you said this, he kind of dominated that party. Yeah, I thought, I assumed Because it, was it wasn't supposed party. to be about him. It was supposed to be about his friend. Oh. And, I, and I was I, also thinking, no shade to Mads Mikkelsen, he's a great actor. He definitely looks older than 40. <laughs> that does make sense. Right. Um, and I thought, this is quite typical of teachers as well, to to hog the limelight. Mm-hmm. Oh, controversial? Nah, I think teaching has an element of showboating. Yeah, uh, and, I've, and, and I'm finding it decreasingly common that I'm hanging out with non-teachers. I think oh, no, the happening. most non-teacher, you used to be the only non-teacher that I used to really hang out I'll with. I'll never forget. And now you're a teacher. <laughs> Do you remember, and we won't talk about everything that happened at this party, you took me to that party about 10, 15 years ago that was a teacher party. Yeah. And I remember like not realizing it was a teacher party until I got there and I was gutted. I was like, you brought me to a freaking teacher party. Mm. Great. And it, I'm not going to lie, they were very nice people, but I did get stuck talking about things that I didn't care about. In, in, my, in my defense, I didn't think they would all be teachers because the teacher who'd invited me to this party, he was in a band mm-hmm. and I didn't realize that he's bandmates were teachers in other schools i just thought oh how cool he's got friends who are not teachers maybe this would be a good opportunity for me to take my non-teacher friend Mm -hmm. and you know be sociable but yeah i'm really sorry about that (laughs) (laughs) i think it's something that do you know what it is it's that teachers are very passionate about what they do like i mean we literally have a podcast that is basically about teaching so we want to talk about it all the time and i do think we have to restrain that urge sometimes because that's why we have a reputation sometimes fairly earned as being uh like a bit boring because all we do is talk about teaching yeah but i think it also comes down to the fact that we feel so strongly about our profession yeah and i think the experience of teaching day to day i find often very intense like emotionally intense and so you think this story is like really funny and entertaining <laughs> and engaging and every, to everyone else was like, so another kid was naughty. I don't, is this, yeah. I don't, where is this? <laughs> and then you finish it with, you had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've told like that. Yep. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I love your story, Shane. Well, it drove you to teaching, so. <laughs> is that what happened? it's what i tell myself it's what i tell myself um but to go back to what you were saying about him dominating the conversation to be fair the other teachers don't do that i think that's more about when you're depressed i think you're quite myopic you i think depression is actually in a certain way you could define it almost as like a state of self-obsession you become obsessed with yourself and your own depression and that's kind of what it is i think he just can't celebrate his friend's no i know it's his friend's birthday because i wasn't paying attention he can't celebrate his friend's birthday because he's so he's so entrenched in his own negative feelings about his life you know he just can't get out of his own head and i think from that scene a a really harsh moment is where he turns his friends turn to him Mm -hmm. and say you're pretty stale in your teaching your classes are banal um let me see did you say banal Banal. Banal. Right, let me start. Banal is an hilarious pronunciation. 
<laughs> I'm going to start okay, using Okay, so that. he's at his friend's birthday outing. He's quite clearly a designated driver. He starts off by not drinking. He asks for soda without the lemon. Um, and then he, his friends, um, they start talking about this whole idea that your blood alcohol level needs to be at a certain point and you you get confidence and you know you you become this person that people want to be around mm-hmm. and his friends turn around to him and says you're struggling with this at the moment aren't you and just the look on his face you can see he's uncomfortable and he's shuffling around in his seat and he goes okay yeah let's discuss this he clearly mm-hmm. doesn't want to discuss it he knows these things and they say He's struggling at work, his self-confidence and his spirit. Yeah, they say he has lost his joy. Like that, he really yeah. goes in on him actually, like yeah. in a way that I kind of admire because he's being very honest. But I feel like I've been around my fair share of people that are clearly depressed. And I don't know if you feel the same, but you tend to just tread lightly because you don't want to further upset them really it's a difficult thing isn't it often i think someone being in that mindset can be a bit of an elephant in the room so i do admire that he just sort of confronts it yeah but if i was in a a sort of weakened state someone telling me that i had no joy or self-confidence anymore like so boldly i think so it's a risky move isn't it? it it is a risky move and what you get from it is that here are four guys who are definitely comfortable around each other. They're very good friends. They work together. They socialize together. And they are able to say these things to each other. Mm -hmm. And from here, the thing that I do like is that they're quite open from here onwards about each other's mental health state and Mm. talking about problems in their life. Um, And I think recent statistics show that the highest suicide rate is within men of um, the middle age category, mm-hmm. um, which these guys would clearly fall into. And what a lot of mental health um, organizations are saying, we need to encourage these discussions. Mm. We need to encourage men to talk openly about their feelings, um, which we kind of see throughout this film. Yeah, you're right. Actually. And do you think that this might be another reason why the Scandinavians do have a better balance? Because they're not so worried about social stigma. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because it is uh, it's quite striking in that, you're right, this film is essentially f- framed around middle-aged male friendships in which almost all the scenes are them talking about how they feel, which I didn't really think about until you'd said that. That's quite unusual, actually, isn't it, as a piece of media? Because it, this could so easily, given the premise of the film, be like The Hangover or something, like mm. really laddish, but it actually yeah. isn't. And I think within the teaching profession as well, I think male teachers are seen to be stable mentally and you know whereas i think there's a narrative that female teachers have got a tendency to get upset easily Mm. and you know students and colleagues have to step around tread around carefully if you want something done get a male member of staff to get it done etc oh you think it's that deep oh i think men are seen as more competent would you say so well you just have to look at certain like groups of leadership teams Mm. and i think the thing with like stereotypes of men not expressing their emotion is that they are self-fulfilling like i really struggle to cry because i find myself when i begin to cry i immediately force myself to stop crying almost as a reflex yeah i don't even really think about it so i very 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 rarely cry because as soon as i begin to i stop myself from doing it which is something i must have learned to do at some point so i think if you expect men not to express emotion they will quickly learn that and then they won't express emotion so they will therefore fulfill the stereotypes you're expecting right because it's it's seen as embarrassing for a man to be upset in public in a way it's just not seen as embarrassing for women and you actually do see these four men go through lots of turmoil 
um, marriage is breaking down, stressed out with family at home, you know, not fulfilling things within their job, but you don't actually see them cry. Yeah, that's really true, actually. In fact, he's a very buttoned up character, even as he starts drinking very heavily until the very, very like last scene, right, where he just sort of explodes in this joy that I guess his friends notice that he's lost. Um, it's worth pointing out that much as we're saying, oh my God, the Scandinavians, you know, their men just talk about emotions. They're so much more advanced than us. I mean, their solution to the problem is they just decide they're going to get pissed at work every single day. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about where this has come from. So they, they're discussing a study. Um, did you catch the name of the guy who did the study? I did. His name is, oh God, my handwriting's terrible. I believe his name is Finn Skarderud. Skarderud. And he apologies for any pronunciation. <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone who is Danish. He said that humans have a blood alcohol level which is zero point five percent too low. I think they said zero point five. Zero point zero five. That's what it said in the subtitles, but then later it said zero point five. So that seemed to I don't know if that was a no, subtitle issue. Because later on when he increases it, he's increased it to zero point one. This is why it's important to have mass training, even when you're an English teacher. Cool. <laughs> I think the subtitles got it wrong. So yeah, he therefore said that is what leads to depression or low mood because we have a blood alcohol level that's too low therefore you've got to top yourself up continually by drinking about you know a steady one to two glasses of wine regularly until you can feel the effects where and off take some more drink some more drink some more it's worth noting that i didn't do too much research into this this definitely seemed like a rather dubious finding let's say that unsupported by other researchers it does seem to be a claim that this person actually did make though I think it's easily dismissed out of term, right? However, they decide we're going to do... They kind of intellectualise the exercise, don't they? So he starts typing up a document, says, right, we're going to do a little bit of an experiment on ourselves. We're going to, all four of us, maintain our blood alcohol level at that level, at work, and we're going to see if that injects some life and passion into our teaching. Which is interesting because you're right in that it does seem like it's only the main character who's really lost his kind of joie de vivre, dare I say. Dare I say that phrase? <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear the term joie de vivre in a Brummie accent? <laughs> joie de vivre. Um, so Martin, the history teacher, he seems to be the only one that actually really needs this boost. And yet they all decide they're going to do it together, which is, I guess is another kind of nice token of friendship, mm -hmm. but also indicates how misguided they are because this is very obviously a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in many ways, not least, they can't drive to work. <laughs> yep. And I've got to say, as a science teacher... Um, the investigation itself is flawed. There's no control group. They needed yeah. to have one who was definitely just drinking water or at least having a placebo. Yeah, 100%. I mean, <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that the veneer of science is very thin, right? Yeah. It's pretty clear they are just doing this for a jape. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what made me laugh? If they were told that running for 20 minutes first thing in the morning would boost their their moods and so therefore their personalities and Very so therefore film. right would they actually do that because what you see is one of the characters like eagerly get out of bed and run downstairs to the place where they keep the alcohol and taking his little intake mm -hmm. and it did make me laugh at that point that he was doing that so religiously mm. that if we change the narrative and said it was exercise instead of alcohol um would he be so diligently yeah following uh -huh. it because i've got to say when it's exercise i can't <laughs> I can't even get well, into a routine. It's a classic rationalisation, isn't it? Of rationalising what you already have decided you want to do by trying to tell yourself that it's actually what you should do. Yeah. Because um, we see, don't we, at the very beginning of the film, before we even meet the characters, uh, the drinking culture in Denmark, which the characters talk about throughout. It's a very heavy drinking culture because mm. we see all the kids celebrating, getting really, really drunk on the bus. Mm. Um, 
So you get a sense this is already a culture where they're already kind of, you know, sodded in alcohol at all times. And this just gives them the excuse to then actually extend that into their professional lives. Yeah, I mean, that that first scene, um, they pan into the staff room straight after. And the head teacher's called in a meeting. Mm-hmm. And she's saying, we need to go a term without these kind of events. Mm-hmm. And you can just see the look of shock around mm-hmm. the room. Like, no alcohol. You what, mate? <laughs> yeah, because they expect the kids to get drunk all the time, which I thought was another interesting thing, which I guess makes sense tied into what I said before, is that these are presumably older kids. They're like probably late teens, early 20s. Did, did, did you look into what the legal drinking age is? I didn't, but there's no way it's going to be older than 18. Okay, so quick Go Google. Go on. The first age re- restriction is 15 years on buying alcohol from retail outlets. Wow, so you can be 16 and buy alcohol. Yep. Okay. This was then raised to 16 years old in 2004. And then again, so 18 years old to drink anything that's stronger than 16.5%. Wow. So it, it depends on what you're drinking. Wow. It's interesting though. So we see him teach the first time after they've made this decision. And it doesn't really seem to have made much of a difference. So their conclusion is they need to drink more. Did you notice that? <laughs> so then it's that he goes to 0.47. He becomes more yeah, so authoritative. So actually the first thing we notice is he becomes more of an authority. He makes the kids shut the door. Yep. He makes the kids put their phones away. Yeah. So that's the first thing that happens is he has the bit of confidence now to be like, no, 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 I'm not going to let you walk all over yeah. me, which he has been And that's when he goes to his friends and says, I had a drink at work and actually it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, the psychology teacher, what's his name? Nicolage, I think. Nicolage is the, is the psycho- psychiatrist. Psychology, sorry. Psychology teacher. Psychology, psychology. So he then says, hold on, we can do a study out of this. And it's like, okay, we're all in. And so all of a sudden they're all in. They buy breathalyzers mm-hmm. so they can monitor it. And they've made a pact that they won't drink after 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they start with it. But I actually quite liked his first lesson. Mm. after this yes where he does the it is a really good lesson right so it's very engaging so he gave them three personalities you had someone who had all of these problems you had the second person who smokes a lot and drinks a lot um i actually recognized it as soon as he started describing that person i think it was the cigars right yes 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 and then the third person was a non-drinker, non-smoker, no criminal records, um, and you know was was quite a pleasant person, mm-hmm. the way that he described. And so he said to the kids, "Who would you vote in?" And all of them picked C. And you'd think, okay, so they've got quite a good moral compass there. They picked the good guy here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he holds up a picture. No, he then says, "Right, so you guys have just um, discarded uh, Roosevelt." Churchill and the guy you put into power is Hitler (laughs) Hitler and I think from there they get this idea that mistakes in history would have easily been repeated yes you're right right. it's a a really good hook isn't it because it makes you realize because it's so easy to look in retrospect to the Nazi regime but like how on earth did people vote in this person when actually you can start to see that you know what the appeal of him perhaps yeah if you take strip away the the hindsight of history yeah um and i guess it's also important because his lessons have been so dead so boring to the point that all the parents have come in and basically said we don't want you to teach our kids anymore um he needs to reset doesn't he he does need to just reset the room and he does that really successfully actually but just just for a second talk about the situation that the head teacher just put him in go on so the head teacher quite clearly know what goes up to him and says um some of the parents have come in to see you you need to go and talk to them 
And he's like, oh, okay, cool. So he's walked into this room expecting maybe two or three parents, but the whole room is just filled with parents and students. Mm. And she's literally just hung him out to dry. Mm. Like, I think this whole situation is really bad, yeah. It's yeah. very... I mean, he doesn't deal with it well, though, does he? Because they understandably confront him and say, you know, our kids aren't learning. They're not achieving what they should be achieving. You don't really seem to care or be engaged. Like, what's your plan? And he just says, well, what can I do if they're always on their phone or whatever else? Like, he just blames it on them. He doesn't really take any responsibility for it, uh, which is the wrong tack to take, I think. But it's understandable that in that situation, you're going to feel defensive, I guess. Mm. Uh, and you're right. It's very unfair to have a gang up like yeah. that, right? I don't know if that would actually And at one point, happen. he actually says... He he doesn't do himself any favours because he's made it clear that he doesn't understand mm. what their needs are or who they are or what their... Yeah, he doesn't care. He's, he's totally checked out. Yeah, and he, he makes that he makes that quite obvious, which I think was a rookie error. Mm-hmm. But w- w- one of the things that he says that I just think you, you would never leave yourself that vulnerable is that he says, you know, okay, we'll work together and if not, you can have another teacher. Mm. like why would you put that yourself in that situation surely your your primary goal should be right we'll just change tactics and we'll do whatever it takes Mm. to get you to the best position possible but you never like offer yourself up for somebody else right yeah so for me that that was a moment of where i thought we see how much he's given up you see how checked out he is he just doesn't care he's just Mm. he's really not that bothered and that's what he needs to get back he needs to get back that that lust for life, that feeling of he he's actually wants to engage with them. He wants to have good lessons. But it's interesting in that, do you think the film is implying that this is a good idea? <laughs> that we should all be maybe having a little, a little drink, you know, before our lessons, if we're feeling a bit dead. I mean, as someone who doesn't drink, mm-hmm. um, I've got to say that the whole premise of the, the film kind of, I mean... I texted you and asked you why we were watching this tonight. I was like, what is this about? Why do, would we even want to discuss this? But I think it the underlying message is there was someone here who was desperately wanting to change mm. and was willing to try anything. Yeah. Even if it would be something. I mean, there was there were a couple of instances where they nearly all got caught, mm-hmm. but by the end only one of them got caught. And it would have cost them their their careers, their their lives. Yeah, and I, I think the film... I don't think the film is suggesting this is a good idea at all. I think the film... So there's that montage where they start talking about, oh my God, you know, Hemingway, all these different people drink, you know, it loosens you up, it makes you more creative. But then did you notice who they actually show in the montage of people getting drunk? It was just like Boris Yeltsin, the absolute sot, over and over again, embarrassing himself in front of television cameras. It was, you know, these quite stodgy politicians. It wasn't creatives. It wasn't inspiring people. I think the film definitely criticizes the alcoholic logic of you need alcohol to be a creative because Hemingway is there exemplar of you know someone who had to drink to write mm. he was an alcoholic do you know what mm. i mean and it's that you know as someone who has not been addicted to, to drink or drugs but i was a smoker for a very long time mm. you you delude yourself into thinking you need this thing right you need this thing as your break you need this thing you can't do that because that is the drug you know worming its way into your brain and ensuring you remain addicted to it it's addiction logic do you, yeah, did you notice that the four types of teachers the four subject teachers that they were there was a music teacher mm-hmm History teacher. Yeah. Um, psychology teacher. And sports, yes. Quite sports. a good... No English for once we've been cut out. Yeah. English and science. <laughs> English and science. Out of, the, out of the, the, the frame there. Mm. Um, would you would you engage in the activity? In the drinking activity? Mm-hmm. No, because I th- the other thing that's important, I guess, to think about this is that I think 
drugs and drink are a lot taking them is a bit of a petri dish isn't it and what your reaction is as much about who you are and your own genetic makeup experience personality is about the thing so i imagine some people it's like some people smoke weed and become very creative a lot of creators smoke weed to become creative for me all that kind of stuff alcohol whatever else i find very blotting and very numbing ultimately i think I'm just going to say, I think drugs are bad, kids. I don't think you should do them. Because ultimately, I think drugs are a way to try and blot out the world. And actually, you need to remain engaged with the world to truly be alive. And I think that they're anti-life in my eyes. I think, you know, they can be fun. It can be fun to be intoxicated. We all, well, you know, if we drink, we can enjoy having a drink, of course. But ultimately, it's a crutch and it's... It's an escape from reality, not a way of engaging with reality. And that's the delusion they have in this film, isn't it? They need to drink to engage reality when actually they're not engaged in reality at all. They're just, they're postponing the actual realisation that they're not happy with their lives by drinking to to mask that is my armchair analysis. So I wouldn't, because honestly, if I was drinking, I'd just be tired. <laughs> I'd just be tired. I'd feel, I feel, I feel creative when I am teaching. I guess I haven't lost that sense of purpose and enjoyment of what I'm doing. Mm. But if I had, I certainly know that drinking ain't gonna do anything about it it's gonna make it worse there is a scene which initially when i saw it i thought oh this is good so the beginning you can see that all four of them are very disengaged from the profession Mm -hmm. they literally work to earn money to pay the bills Mm -hmm. um they don't they're not interested in their students and then you get this one scene where a student is visibly upset Mm-hmm. And has been crying and is yes, looking stressed. I think I wrote his Sebastian. Name and there's the scene where Peter runs up to the student, asks him what what's wrong, and you see him give some kind of pastoral care. Mm-hmm. And initially, I started writing down in my notes. Oh my gosh, it's co- caused him to literally actually care about his students mm-hmm. um, until. He hears out what the issue is and his solution to it is... Take a shot. Take a (laughs) shot before your exam. And I'm like, you did what? You told him to do what? And he does. And then the kid turns up to the exam, really, really nervous, really upset, hasn't taken the teacher's advice. And he pulls out a bottle. He actually forces him to (laughs) do it, yeah. But then I think, this is the thing, I, I absolutely think the film is... Mocking, mocking what they are doing right it's it's in on the joke and it the joke is that they think this is a solution to anything right which i kind of enjoy i guess this is perhaps why you were a little bit puzzled by the film because it, it the structure of the film is quite a classic one isn't it is like a, a character starts not happy with their life they know they need to do something they find a solution to it and they come out a better person whereas this film is kind of like an anti-development narrative because they actually retreat into alcoholism yeah. slowly <laughs> Like, and they actually, even though it seems to be working on the surface, it is all surface ultimately, isn't it? Mm. I think. Mm. Um, although I think what works is just that they make a conscious decision to disrupt and to destabilize their routine that's kind of dead in them, right? And that, and so I think they could have done any number of things. Like you said, go for a friggin' run, mate. Teach a little bit differently. Do something new. You know, he, they just need something to freshen themselves up and see things anew. But you definitely see in that scene that the idea that alcohol is going to do anything other than stultify is not going to work. Although, uh, does he pass the exam? Well, I don't think we ever see Sebastian again. Yeah. But what you do see is in the exam, he's also encouraged to drink because... 
Peter's put the bottle, which looks like water, but it's clearly alcohol mm-hmm. or maybe even watered down alcohol. He says, take a sip, take a sip. And he, he does get that Dutch courage. Maybe that's where the... Oh my God. Well, they're not ah. Dutch though. Dutch is Netherlands, right? Right. But I mean, to be oh fair... Oh my God. There is... <laughs> we need to go back and do some juggling. Well, there's a certain truth to Dutch courage, right? Like there's a reason why people do take a shot or a drink or whatever when they're a little bit nervous. It can steady your nerves. It can calm you. Like, you know, it can be a bit of a blunt and brute means to an end. There is a certain element of truth to that. There's a reason people take drugs. There's a reason why people drink. It's not just that they're, they're alcoholics and that's it. So there's, there is definitely a certain amount of truth that that can take your nerves off it to a certain degree. Mm. It's just a very blunt tool. And the problem is that all you've learned from that is that if you are nervous, you should drink rather than actually developing the ability to self-soothe, which is really what he should do in that situation, isn't it? Mm. He should instruct a model how to actually deal with that situation and manage your stress effectively rather than blotting it with booze, right? It's a very blunt instrument. Should we talk about Tommy's demise? Yeah, so Tommy is the sports teacher. He seems to buy into the drinking most heavily it seems and from so the beginning you see him being the most encouraging so martin's saying i'm driving i don't want to drink i've got work tomorrow i've got stuff to do right at the beginning when they're at the birthday do he's they're like just one drink you know have a little bit with your caviar by the time you you know we're gonna go home it will be through your system it'll be gone right mm. he's always encouraging the drinking mm. so the question there lies is did he have a drinking problem before the study started? Did this just mm. facilitate it so bad mm. that actually they didn't even notice when they, if they weren't drunk, they would have clocked on sooner? Yeah, well, and we also see that he's not able to stop. So when they decide that, you know, this isn't going well, it's actually starting to destroy their personal lives. They make a decision that actually it was a failed experiment, but he then, he just can't actually stop because inevitably you know if you give four people alcohol every day one of them's probably going to become an alcoholic just statistically right that's probably going to end up happening so he struggles to the point of that scene where he turns a plate to the staff meeting and he's absolutely sozzled is so embarrassing um, i mean every single staff meeting that we see is discussing alcohol mm. so the first one where they're discussing the students right at the beginning um the second time when the <laughs> who was was it the cleaner who found all the different cubby yeah, holes or with another the different teacher it was some some of the member of staff found yeah. Tommy's booze everywhere yeah fi- finding his booze everywhere and he he obviously took it straight to the head teacher mm. um would you if i found booze everywhere yeah for sure because you could presume that could be kids drinking Mm-hmm. That's my, what my presumption would absolutely not be a member of staff was drinking. I would think, oh God, the kids have worked out they can stash alcohol here. Would that be your assumption? Well, I think they were going down the lines of only staff have keys to this. Oh, I forgot that part. So therefore, it's got to be a mm. member of staff. How could the students get through a locked door? I think I would say something, yeah, because I guess to me that's a safeguarding concern. If mm. you find there's, I mean, there was a lot of, if there was like one bottle, I might think, oh, well, I don't know, maybe that's a secret stash something. But there's like several. It's like everywhere. So I would be a little bit concerned about who's drinking that much at work. Yeah. And, and this is where we, we find out that Martin's kids, his own kids at home, knew that he was conducting some kind of alcoholic experiment. Mm. Because when he came home stinking drunk, they said, you know, he said, yeah, I had a few too many drinks. And they said, well, you've been drunk for a while now, haven't you? Mm. And that's where he admits to having his drinking problem. Mm. Do you think you ever had a teacher at school who was drunk or had been drinking? Hmm. 
I don't think so, no. I don't know if I was too naive when I was younger to have even known what that would have looked like. So we would witness a group of our male teachers um, head out to the pub opposite our school Mm. every Friday. And period five and six, after lunch, if you had one of those teachers, not going to lie, it was interesting. When you said they were interesting, were they good lessons? When I had him earlier on in the week, he was a different teacher to when he'd had this liquid lunch. But did you prefer the drunk teacher or the sober teacher? Oh, 100% the drunk teacher. Which is what the film suggests as well, right? Because when he stops drinking, his lessons become boring again. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all, they're all, they're a little bit taken aback by it, aren't they? Mm. And he just finishes off with like, good luck revising your exams. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> they're like, but wait, your lessons are fun now. Why are you going back to being boring? But I do think the key thing is that alcohol's purposefulness, it does loosen him up, doesn't it? So he's able to access a part of himself that he's too repressed and damaged and whatever else to access when he's sober. Mm. Well, actually, I do believe you can. he could access that part of himself if he did, you know, actually attempt to do so rather than just using alcohol to do mm. it. Um, I would have really have liked one of them to turn around and say, ha, ah, you've been duped. We were giving you water the entire time. <laughs> so do you think this whole film really is an illustration of the placebo effect, which is that they believe they'll be more creative, more engaged? I genuinely Because do. they're drinking, and so therefore they are, despite the fact they're drinking. Genuinely, because let, let's face it, you and I do not turn up to lessons drunk. Mm-hmm. Our colleagues do not turn up to lessons drunk, mm-hmm. yet they are much more engaged in the profession, mm-hmm. much more creative in their professions than these guys than these guys were mm. whilst they were drunk, mm. right? So maybe the, if we're going to take something useful away from this film then, given that it's just a film about <laughs> drinking in school, which obviously we're never going to do, is that our minds are actually very powerful. And if we decide we're going, if we decided we're going to our lessons that day, we're going to be really dynamic, creative teachers. We're going to be really present. Because that's what's actually happening here, isn't it? Is they're just present, whereas mm. he's not present previously. We are 90% our own reactions and 10% our circumstances. Give this guy a bit of cognitive behavior therapy Mm. and I reckon he could be firing on all cylinders. Mm. He just needs someone to tap that part of his brain open to, to, you know, and you kind of see that at the end, you do, you know, he, they, they haven't been drinking. Their, their students are coming in, they're celebrating that joyous results day scenario. Um, and everyone's really happy and, you know, we see him dancing the dance that his friends want him to dance right at the beginning and he won't. Yeah, he's um, finally loosened up and he dances very well. I was quite impressed by his dancing. Mm-hmm. It's a very joyful moment. But I mean, he is also pissed. Because <laughs> they've just gone out to, because Tommy, it's implied, has killed himself. We don't actually see him commit suicide. Yeah. I guess there's a lot to interpret here. If he'd killed himself, I guess they were feeling a bit responsible for it because they didn't. They didn't stop or didn't do anything to, you know, curtail the the scenario. Yeah. But how did they decide to commemorate him? By drinking. <laughs> and and they're hesitant. They are hesitant, aren't mm. they? They're they're not like, oh, let's go down the pub and have a drink. It's sat there in front of him and he's he's thinking about it for a moment, but once they start drinking, they don't stop, do they? Yeah. They will work out a rationalization to drink in every scenario. We want to become better at teaching, we're going to drink. We want to commemorate our friend die, we'll drink to commemorate him. Like, they'll just find an excuse to do it, right? Mm. So it's all it's all just to justify the continued behavior. But so we then see they come across, they're also now very drunken graduating students. Mm. And he finally loosens up. He finally is able to just let himself free, I guess. Mm. But I wonder if that's because his friend's 
died in a way. I wonder if that's kind of making him think about his own mortality. He feels like he's got nothing to lose, you know? I wonder if that's what's going on there. A lot of people do respond like that when, when they're grieving, you know, the loss of someone and you, you get the whole seize the day period of your life. But he's also having, like, you see the text conversation with his wife where she says that she misses him and they mm. decide to have another go at it. So think things are a little bit more on the positive and on the up. And mm. these students who once threatened, you know, his job because they were worried they were going to fail, they've clearly passed. Yeah. Um, you, you see... <laughs> You see, at one point, they pick up Peter and they throw him up in the air and he's elated by that, right? Yes, well, there's just, I really like that I moment. I swear, if a child or any student ever did that to me, they would be seeing a side that I probably never showed before. Well, I think what's nice about it is that there's that weird levelling effect, isn't there? Like, once the students have graduated and they see their teachers outside, which is always an exciting thing when you're a kid, right? You're like, oh my mm. God, they're not in school. What are they doing? There's a, they're now just, they're now kind of equal. They're just adults. They're, there's not that sense of formality. That's another thing I don't know if you noticed is that they, they call their teachers by their first names yeah. in those schools. So there's already not quite so much that level of formality, but it's actually, they're just really joyful and happy to see each other. They seem to enjoy it. They did. <laughs> yeah. They did. And um, takes us nicely to, shall we rate the school? Shall we rate our teachers? Yeah, it's a difficult one, this, because the head seems very distant and ineffectual, I would say. She doesn't really seem to know what's going on in the school. I mean, they have four members of staff coming in drunk every day, getting taxis home, and nobody seems to notice mm. <laughs> that this is going on. And when they do notice that booze, nothing's really done about it. We see some good teaching. But that is implied it only happens because they're drunk. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the scene in the music lesson we didn't really talk about where it's the first time he's teaching drunk and he kind of hears them for the first time and hears that it's not really working and he closes all the blinds and makes them listen to each other and the resets immersiveness, again. Yeah. yeah, it's a really nice example again of someone like choosing to be very present in the moment. So based on the teaching that we see, I would have to say you'd give the school a good no. But given the safeguarding elements of what is going on yeah. here uh the fact that we have teachers feeding literally force feeding children alcohol in their exams yep uh i don't know because if you think about this from the perspective of an offset inspector they probably would not see any of this when they found all of those bottles those could have easily been kids finding those bottles yeah and they already at the beginning like we said they know there's a drinking problem in the school amongst the kids because yeah. they said they've got to do something about it yeah and I don't feel like we saw anything proactive in any shape or form. Mm, and if we're right. viewing this in the eyes of Ofsted inspectors, I'm sorry, here we go. Once again, another special measure school. They're, wow. They... This series of our podcast, has every school been special measures this year? So far, yeah. We wow. haven't. And I think <laughs> you're picking really, really bad films, <laughs> presenting education in a very bad light. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the thought experiment of the film, Should You Teach Drunk, is obviously from the outset not supposed to be taken seriously. But I think what you can take from the film is what we've said about not coasting. Yeah. In and the, in and they're the all very clear on that, aren't they? They, yeah. they know that something's not right. They're not afraid to tell each other that something's not right. And they do something about it. What they did about it isn't necessarily what we agree with. No. But everything's worth a try, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think ultimately what I liked about it, I guess, is that... So he begins the film not just as someone who's checked out, but he's also obviously got 
some psychological problems. He's depressed. Like, he's very depressed. He's depressed. Um, I actually really liked, I don't know if you noticed much later, in that exam Sebastian takes, which is a philosophical exam where it's like an or exam where he has to speak at length on a topic. Mm-hmm. Did you pay attention to what he was talking about? About failure. Yeah, so he was talking about he defines anxiety in a really interesting way. That's where my before. quote's from. Ah, so he says there's a concept of anxiety, which is how a human being copes with their that, with the idea that they failed. That's what he defines anxiety as. And that to overcome anxiety, therefore, you must accept that you are fallible to participate meaningfully. So the idea that anxiety is a kind of failure to participate meaningfully in life because you're so overly concerned with failure, which I think actually really rings true. Um, but there's such an irony to that because... He's just had to get through this exam by drinking. So there's this sense, I guess, that, you know, Martin, like many people who are young in their careers, starts out with these really high aspirations for himself that are really defined by how others see or value. He wants to have esteem. And in his eyes, he's failed that esteem because he's a classroom teacher. He hasn't got his PhD. He's whatever else. And so he's become stagnant, not because of the fact that he didn't achieve his PhD or anything else, but because he's decided in his own mind he's a failure. And that's when he actually decides that he's not going to be, he's not going to see himself in that way anymore. That is really what changes and revolutionizes the classroom, isn't it? Mm. Is the decision that actually this is exactly what he should be doing. So do you agree with me, special measures? I think, as always, I am overly generous. And then you explain very clearly why it has to be special measures, yes. <laughs> I mean, given what we see happening, yeah, there's nothing we can do. FYI, if you want Sean to come and Ofsted inspect your school, <laughs> yeah. he's taking buckets. Shall I get him? Let's, let's start a racket. <laughs> He'll give you a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we should just finish by saying, um, just, just don't drink when you're teaching. It's probably just, oh, I think we can conclude. It's just stay sober, people. Not a great day. Yeah, stay sober, stay sober. Live in the world. <laughs> Live in reality. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to us today. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Film Class Pod and also on Instagram on the same handle. Also, you can send us an email at filmclasspod at gmail.com. Send us over any comments, any suggestions. Thank you so much as well to Kevin McLeod for our music, Night in Venice. You can find all of Kevin's work in Compatech dot filmmusic.io and the license is at creative commons see you next week see ya